Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We're here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 210, the October 1986 issue on sale July of 8th, 1986. Cover price, 75 cents still. And this one's titled The Morning After. And this is... This is a weird cover for me. Why is that? Uh, the, the cover art is fine. Uh, it's just, it's very out of character. It's the whole, so it's the X-Men team. You got all of them there, the current membership of the team. On the front of the title, just kind of in a pose with the phrase, come on, mess with us, make our day, which really isn't like in the same context uh, of this issue. But nevertheless, I, I like it. It's a great cover. Yeah, it, it's it's a cover that just makes you go, oh, cool. I want to see what's inside of this. Yeah. Especially if you know who the X-Men are and you see this cover and you're like, I got to buy that issue. And then the content doesn't really matter. Yeah. I, it's just, it's, it's, um, I'm not complaining. I'm not saying it's a bad cover. I think it's very well drawn. I like the vertical or the horizontal lines and everything, the shading that's going on. Um, it's just that it's just. If you look at, if you were to put all of these issues on your wall to create yourself a little X-Men cover diorama, this one just is like, that just doesn't seem to fit. Didn't you do that in high school? Yes, I totally did. (laughs) This issue probably was hanging on on my wall at some point. But this one's always just kind of felt out of left field for me. Uh, But again, uh, you put this image on a t-shirt and everybody instantly recognizes everything that's going on with uh, this t-shirt. time period of the X-Men uh, and these characters. I have one qualm. What's that? Colossus's hand over the top of Wolverine's hand. It just, I feel like the perspective is wrong somehow. Hmm. Like something seems too big or too large or something shouldn't be there. It looks like Colossus is behind Wolverine, but then he's also in front of Wolverine. So like if you look at their heads, it looks yeah. like Colossus is farther back, but then Colossus's hand is in front of Wolverine's, which, you know, right hand left hand sort of makes sense but it just it's throwing me off uh, i get you so from a perspective um from a perspective perspective adam i feel like kitty rogue and storm are in perfect relativity and perspective in this cover um i really like the drawing of nightcrawler because it doesn't really look like nightcrawler but it looks like more of maybe what he would really look like because nightcrawler is typically like cute blue fuzzy elf guy but this is like a guy that's just like you know his bottom lines their bottom lip is protruding and he's just like you've seen this guy before on the playground at high school he's just like mad looks like he got it, it cracked in his uh Correct in his jaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he he does not. He looks um he looks too small. <laughs> okay. And then I see what you're saying. Like I think if you kind of like just uh, if you cover up like the bottom third of the cover and you don't even really look at the bodies, then I think everything perspective wise works. But if you start looking down towards the bottom where those arms are, um, then I, I I totally get what you're saying as far as Wolverine and Colossus go. If you cut off like the bottom eighth, mm-hmm. it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you get rid of Colossus's hand, but you leave in Wolverine's hand. Although Wolverine's hand even looks like it's a little too small. But, but the, the the question I have like is, who is the person that came up with the phrase, come on, mess with us, make our day? Because I think it's that phrase alone. Like if you take that phrase out of this cover, then it's just a cover of the X-Men looking like badasses on the cover of an X-Men book. And you're like, whatever, I'm going to buy this book. But But most of the issues don't have phrasings like this. Uh, from from everything that I've heard about the way that the 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 Marvel thing works is like 
sometime any it could have been anybody i guess is what i'm trying to say it could have been anybody all the way from john ramita jr all the way up to jim shooter oh so you think like jim shooter saw this and he's like oh this is a great cover let's throw this on there as well could be and they're like yes sir boss you sign the checks that would not be out of the realm of possibility. Anyways, it's a great cover. It's just, it, I don't know, just, it's just, it's just different. I mean, even without the words, this is a good cover. Oh yeah, no, no, I'm, I, again, I'm, I, it also the gray, the stark grayness of the background is also a little out of character. Actually, I'm looking at this as the cover of the Mutant Massacre collection and it looks better. You think the cover of the Mutant Massacre trade paperback looks better than the original comic yeah um because i feel like wolverine's hand is larger and the perspective works better for some reason not really sure why even even nightcrawler doesn't look as small it's like they touched it up yeah it's it's colored completely differently Uh, and it might actually be drawn differently like colossus's face looks like a little bit taller yeah and i think storm is a little bit larger as well like things are larger you know what it you know, it, it could be. Um, it might actually be the same drawing, but I think it might be stretched um, vertically. Yeah, yeah. Or, or yeah, I think I think you're right. Maybe a little bit zoomed in, a little bit stretched. I think it's stretched vertically because everything, the drawings look identical, except uh, everything just looks a little taller. Like Colossus looks a little thinner. I think that's what's happening here. And it's all recolored, of course, too. Uh, and uh, I guess that should be brought up is that we have moved on from our Ghosts trade paperback, and we are into the Mutant Massacre trade paperback, which which will be in here for a little while. Cause it's a- well, technically, yes. However, next episode, no. Wow. So be warned. We're jumping in and out. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so... I don't know. Let's get, let's get on with this thing. The morning this after. This has been Covers with Adam and Jeremy. <laughs> See you next episode for X-Men 211. Oh, my God. That would be so much easier of a podcast to do is if we just <laughs> did covers. Maybe maybe we should. We could do the entire, like, Marvel run from At- Atlas, was it? No, Timely Comics all the way through the current day, cover by cover. Just just a 12-minute podcast. I love that idea. <laughs> This one is written by Chris Claremont. John Romita Jr. and Don, or Dan Green are the artists. Glennis Oliver is the colorist. Tom Wojcikowski is lettering. Anna Senti is the editor. And Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. And we are in Los Angeles, California. And in the first page, Richard, a major character from Uncanny X-Men, is killed. Yeah, is this a... Is this a brotherhood? I mean, a Hellfire guy? Yeah, this is a Hellfire guy. Yeah, okay. He, he mentions that later. Something about having to get back to uh, the Hellfire Club because they'll... On the next page, he mentions, yeah. So he gets stabbed in the back by a giant spear. Harpoon, I would say. It's more of a harpoon. Not not really a spear, but a harpoon. I suppose you're, you're, you're correct, <laughs> given, given the name of the person that fired it. Well, we don't know uh, that, Adam. I'm, well, we like, don't know that spoilers. yet, but, you know, just saying. Uh, <laughs> we learn that this guy is Richard Sammons, age 27, um, he's hanging out with a woman who is quite clearly a mutant. She has a uh, technicolor raincoat slash hair. I think she identifies as a Morlock, but she's not ugly like a Morlock. Her name is Tommy. Yep. Which is a strange name for a girl. They are on the run, and uh, yeah, Tommy gets sacked in the back with a harpoon. Energy is like zapping all around him, and uh, Tommy. Well, that's Richard. Tommy Richard. is the girl. Sorry, Richard. Is, is, is Tommy a common name for a girl? 
it t-o-m-i i don't know about common but that's that's one way of doing it but tommy uh she she doesn't know what to do she's very scared uh and she doesn't know how to deal with this situation richard though with all of his hellfire club training is like look i'm hurt I'm down, but you grab that gun and we work together and we might be able to get out of this. But Tommy's too afraid. Yep. She wants tunnels, just like the ones that she knows of in Manhattan. So that's where I think I, maybe she even says she's a Morlock somewhere, but... Yeah, I think at the at the at the end, spoilers, she, she does say that she... Uh, well, actually, it's on the next page. But, um, so Richard, uh, having been left by Tommy, now alone, here's where he gets a, a gun pointed at him by an unknown assailant. Many unknown assailants. Quite a lot of people here. And um, he that's where he says, my employer's Hellfire Club will pay you back in kind. And the guy with the gun here says they're welcome to try. They'll get the same as you. And he shoots Richard. Chaboom. So the silhouettes that we see, the woman for sure. And three guys for, sh- well, three guys maybe. Um... So total of total of five of these baddies, all silhouetted. We don't know who they are. We've never met them before. I'm thinking between this guy's legs is Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> yeah, he's got the right hair and the right height. And so Tommy, she hears the gunshot and she's like, oh man, it's Richard. He's dead. I'm so tired. I don't even know what to do. I'm just going to get on this train. She hops aboard a freight train, and this is where she says, The door is lo- shut and locked, but for a mutant, a Morlock, that's no problem. So she apparently has the ability to fold herself into like a paper paper width and, I don't know, slide through things. So not only can she do that, but she has technicolor hair. Yeah, so eh, whatever. Interesting mutant. And so the first time that I ever read this issue, um, I guess I had just assumed that this... She was a Marvel mutant, but now I'm learning that she's just a creation for this issue. And a major character coming up. Yeah. Right? She's not going anywhere. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, she's on the train. She's she's heading off. And uh, the band of five, still silhouetted, they know she's in the fifth car. They're wondering if they should take her now. But the boss, they say, no, we got to wait. Um, and somebody says, don't fret, marauders. Before we're through, we'll have all we'll all have our share of kills and them some. Somebody else says, I hope Malice is having as much fun with her assignment. And Malice is who we met in Secret Wars 2? Um, different Malice. Really? Yeah, but same name. So the malice that we meet here, no, because didn't Sue Richards get infected by the malice? It's a different malice. What, with the same power? Um, I, I don't think it's the same. Oh, I don't know, Adam. Like, I don't know. I guess I don't know, but... Because as I understand it, uh, the, the Sue Richards thing was, it was always Sue Richards just twisted to uh, pull out the, the the side of her that she was always, like... The side of her that never was supposed to come out. It was it was all the sides of her that were, uh, you know, like anybody, kept inside. But there was no collar involved? Oh, there might have been a costume that had a collar, oh but there God. was no there was no entity. That just, all of that seems too coincidental for them not to be related. And she called herself Malice. All right. Well, we fast forward uh, our, our uh, well, we, we moved to San Francisco and we see that, um, Dazzler has changed her hairstyle, and she is now playing with uh, Lila Cheney and her band. Which astute listeners will recognize from the pages of New Mutants. 
Yep. She's moving some gear. The rest of the band, they want to go party, but Daz was like, I'm tired. She's not just moving some gear. She's moving a Moog, Whoa. which was uh, created in Buffalo, New York. Oh. Just want to point that out. Okay, cool. Yeah, she she doesn't want to party, but these guys are like, look, the band that plays together parties together, and she's like, take a hint, you guys. I'm just going to go chill out on the bus. I'm bushed, Connell. What is this, the weird names episode? Connell. <laughs> So she heads in to the bus. She She's getting ready, uh, washing her face, washing her hair, just kind of relaxing. And she kind of has, you know, the standard Chris Claremont looking in the mirror, talking to herself, kind of narrating what's going on, you know. I really miss being a blonde. Yep. I'm living a lie. I hate it. I have no business playing the prima donna. Lila Cheney's the star, not me. I sing as well. I look as good. I just didn't get the breaks. The whole world now knows Allison Blair is the mutant firefly dazzler, the freak who's a living light show. It's become the mutant. The word mutant has become a mark of Cain, a brand. Dang. So, yeah, she's dyed her hair and just kind of like moved herself into the back uh, backstage of Lila Chain just to kind of still be in the business, but not be, I don't know, on Front Street like she was previously in her own series that we recently just wrapped up. Right, Adam? Oh, yeah. And so she gets done uh, wiping her face off. And one of the interesting things throughout all of these panels is you never actually see uh, her neck in any of the Dazzler panels. Okay. Until she wipes kind of the water away from her face and she sees kind of a distorted reflection of herself with blonde hair who says, I'm Malice, Allison. I'm you. She jumps out of the window and says, The real you, the star, too long denied, who's decided at last to claim the rightful place in the firmament. No! Get away! So she grabs uh, Dazzler by the neck, and she's like, This is for your own good, it's what you really want. And Dazzler screams in white light, Get away! She falls unconscious, and when she wakes up, she... Think she must have panicked, knocked herself unconscious. That woman, that creature, she's gone. My reflection's back to normal. I must be more exhausted than I thought. And that's when, in the next panel, you, you see Dazzler now with a choker on. Which, I swear to God, Sue had a choker on. Okay, possibly. Okay, listeners out there, if you know for certain that Malice and uh, Sue Storm are the same person. Well, I don't think they're the same person. I think Malice is like... Uh, you know, there's probably a wiki out there that explains what malice is, but the comics, from what I remember, don't really do a great job of dis- of explaining what malice is. Is she a mutant? Is she a real person? Or is she just a entity that lives in a choker? According to uh, the Wikipedia that I'm looking at now, this is the first appearance of malice. Okay. All right. Well, I digress then. So still, it seems like there was an opportunity there to con- connect those two. There's very strange similarity, yet that's all it is. Anyways, yeah, so she kind of like puts her hair back and she's like, oh, fatigue can be a weird thing, but I like this choker. It's just my style. All right, I'm going to bed. <laughs> Which is weird, but makes sense. Well, I mean, as I don't know. Yeah. As the viewer, we are very clearly aware that this choker is wasn't there before. Right. Or was it? Because uh, as I pointed out, uh, in all of the panels, it looks like the artist goes out of his way to not draw Dazzler's neck. Yeah, 
But she just got choked. Yeah, I know. I, know. I mean, and that's kind of like a choker. That's the culmination of everything, of course. But anyways, uh, back in New York, Rogue is flying around. Her costumes are all torn up. Apparently, it's been maybe an hour or two since their battle with the Hellfire Club and Nimrod. And she's looking around for Rachel. Yeah, she. Uh, every everybody, all the X Men, I guess, are flying around and looking around Manhattan, trying to catch, figure out what happened to Rachel. Um, and so this is this is the rogue side of it. She 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 passes through rush hour in New York City. She passes uh, past a building that she doesn't recognize, although she says one, one heck of a fight must have happened over by that building. The sign says X Factor. Wonder what that means. Can't worry about it now. Got troubles enough of my own. Not a peep from my wrist sensor. This is the issue that tells all X-Men fans that X-Factor is a thing, <laughs> right? Like, if you didn't know already, like, this issue is going to beat it over your head. So there, There's a whole event happening. Oh, yeah. So Rogue's flying around. Yeah, she's having the same conversation that's been had over the last couple of issues about the teamwork and Rachel letting us down, but we still got to find her. She's our friend. I could have helped. Blah, 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 blah. And as she's flying around, she sees a uh, scaffolding giving way that has a couple of window washers on it. And so she flies in to save the day. Named Joey and Guido. Not the Guido that we know. Right. And, uh, of course, we get a reminder in her thoughts that if the skin touches the skin, she'll steal his psyche and memories. But she is able to safely bring them to the ground. Uh, And Guido, I think, is on the ground praying. Whereas, is it Joey? Yeah, I think Joey is the... uh... He's very happy. He's like, oh, my God, thank you. Like, I'm so happy and you're so gorgeous. I could kiss you, he says. And Rogue's like, ooh, maybe some other time. And she thinks to herself, oh, I'd have taken that kiss. But I can't. It's the one thing I can't do. Which, you know, I think if she probably, if she could take kisses, she probably wouldn't. Because this guy's kind of gross. Ah, he's kind of gross. But this is a man who's like genuinely like, oh my god, you are my angel. Like I yeah, but, should. But, this, but it's also a lady who is not can't kiss anybody. So I think she's like, you know, somebody's offering her a kiss. She's like, man, I never had one of those. Really would like to, but I can't. Yeah. This this one this one is Guido. The the one on the ground is Joey. Oh, so Guido's the one going in for the kiss. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well. Anyways, I've read this issue many, many times, and even though this guy only appears in, like, four panels, I feel like this is just, like, a genuine guy. Like, he's not oh, after yeah, anything sure. else. He's just, like, he's just a good person who has been yeah. rescued by another good person. I agree. So. He's very thankful. Yeah. He's, he's just happy. He's not, like, I'm not implying that he's lecherous in any way. Right, right. I'm just saying he's not Rogue's type. Well, yeah, yeah. So she's flying around, and and, uh, she even comments in the window of the building she's flying by. She's like, oh, my God, I'm a mess. I got to do something about this. Like, I'm going to take some time off uh, from this search, and if Storm don't like it, tough. She calls herself an complete ragbag. Yeah, well, I mean, she's dirty, and her costume's all ripped up and stuff. There's some good good art by... uh... John Romita in these first first few rogue pages. She flies past the uh, the Twin Towers at some point, which mm-hmm. I feel like he draws them a lot. Well, I mean, it was a landmark of New York. Nothing True said enough. nothing said New York like the Twin Towers. So she flies around. She heads over to, uh, we find out later, Bloomingdale's, and uh, she tries on a whole bunch of different outfits, and she finally finds one that kind of matches her style. So it's like black tights, black boots, and like a oversized green sweater type deal. 
And then she heads over to the makeup counter and she's like, could you do anything with this face? And the, and the, the woman at the uh, makeup counter says, it's a challenge, dear, but we'll give it our best shot. That's, that's bad salesmanship. Yeah. And really, I mean, I get what they're going after, but we see the next panel where Rogue's like all dolled up with eyeshadow and blush. And in my opinion, it doesn't look good. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm not a girl. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Somebody went overboard. I don't know if it was John Romita or if it was, what, Clintus Oliver, whoever colored it. Uh, maybe, I mean, look, I, these these types of places are real where uh, women will sit down with other makeup artists and have this done to them. Um, so so this is probably what the actual outcome of one of these is. Probably. They, they get drastically overdone like this. And, and this is a look that is probably appealing to someone like rogue or or maybe to maybe to 80 percent of women i don't even know it is kind of southern bell-esque i guess i like how she uh says because chris claremont needs to make sure that everything is explained look if for me i always carry a cash belt hidden a cash stash hidden in my belt yeah you don't need that yeah. But, you know, whatever. And that's when some rabble rouser comes in. Is like, I saw her fly in. She's a mutie. We got to call X-Factor. You don't belong in a decent store among among decent human people. And the makeup person's like, what? And Rogue's like, I don't even care right now. Like, mutie, it's mutant me. Can I just see some more lipstick? And guy's like, look, I'm going to call X-Factor. And that's when Guido shows up and he's like, she... Yo, Ace. Yeah. You talk nice to the lady or you answer to me. She saved my life. I'll pound you. Yeah. Don't matter. She's a mutant anymore. It does. I'm Calabrese or Joey's black. She saved our lives. That's what counts. You ignorant little want to make something of it. And that's when a sales lady comes in and she's like, don't you dare fight in here. This is Bloomingdale's. Is is honestly pretty great. Yeah, that's pretty. This hot. is Bloomingdale's. Oh, I forgot. And then you got to ask yourself, like, why is Guido here in the first place? Like, Rogue's like flying all over the city. Did the building that Guido almost fall off was that right next to Bloomingdale's? I would have to assume so, because yeah. I mean, he had to have seen her go in here. It's like I gotta get me that kiss. Where? Oh my god, that guy's making fun of my girl. Or it's a coincidence that he's at the mall somehow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, maybe. But still. I was buying some tacos. That's not important. The important thing is that we really get to see what kind of a stand-up guy Guido is. And we get the, like, you know, as a youngster, like, it all, for me anyways, reading the issue, it, it all kind of feeds into each other. Uh, going with the whole diversity thing. I don't know what Calabrese is, but I can relate with like Joey's black and this person's a mutie. Who cares? We're all. I think it's like an Italian thing. I don't, I don't honestly know either. Could be, but, but the point is, is like, Hey, we all, we're all different. Who cares? Get on with yourself. This is a magnificently written sequence. This is like, this is, this is the best of the X-Men right here. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. This is what makes these old issues great. Yep. And so while Guido is having that back and forth with the dude and the sales lady, Rogue has snuck out. She is flying away. Um, presumably she paid. Yeah. She probably just like threw some cash. Somebody else will figure it out. And as she's flying by a bus, she sees an advertisement for X Factor. And she's like, oh, X Factor. No wonder people are so paranoid and hostile. That looks like Cyclops. <laughs> I don't think that's supposed to be. I think that's just clip art. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Mutant investigations and resolutions. No need to be fearful any longer. Our skilled team of experts will aid you in finding the answers to one of our the most urgent problems of our time. Have you ever tried calling this number? No, have you? No. We should, we should do it at the end of the show. <laughs> All right. 1-800-555-9377. Let's see if X-Factor answers. <laughs> Hello? This is X-Factor. <laughs> do you have a mutant problem? That'd be amazing. Back at the X-Men mansion, uh, Colossus is has changed into one of his oldest uniforms because all of his new ones are ruined. And Ilyana's going through a lot of his old drawings saying, hey, you're actually a pretty good artist. Really bright colors, Peter. I was new wave before my time. Yuck, yuck. Yeah. I'm no good with the jokes. <laughs> they talk a little bit about Kitty and how Kitty's taking this whole thing that's happened recently pretty hard. She's... Um, uh, I don't know, not depressed, but kind of reclused in, into herself. And uh, Ileana goes on to say, like, hey, you know, I know some things happen between you, but, you know, she she needs you. She likes you. Maybe not in that way, but you're important to her. We have to find a way to put things right, pull them back together before it's too late. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, yeah, and uh, before it's too late, and then when Colossus says, perhaps, dear sister, it's already is. Kitty is... Well, Downstairs in the mansion's central wing, the headmaster's private study, uh, Kitty is working on uh, Cerebro, I suppose. She's swearing and muttering under her breath. So this is kind of indicative, I guess, of her maybe less than innocent uh, um uh, personality that she may have had earlier on in the issue that Ileana was just talking about. But she is apparently swapping out some circuit boards, and we're getting a little bit more uh, introduction to her abilities. So what she's doing is she's phasing out of an electronic device, solidifying just her hand to grab a component, then phasing the component in her hand to bring it back inside of Cerebro, and then attaching it to the device so that you know she can do this type of work without scrambling the circuits because her ultimate goal is to make Cerebro usable by anybody, not just psychically aware mutants. Yes. And she, uh, she mentioned somewhere that she turned, uh, Cerebro off. Otherwise, if she had phased through it while it was on, it would have short circuited. Right. And I love this panel of her, uh, where she is completely phasing, but attaching the circuit board in all the purple, uh, insides the guts of the computer yeah it's a good panel it's a a really cool panel uh followed by a not so good panel of kitty sticking her head out of cerebro to say hey i'm a genius i don't really care well first she says trey rad (laughs) and lockheed is unimpressed as he yawns and uh kitty sits in what was the professor's desk kind of kicking her legs up a little bit and she's like all right well we should have done this a while ago, but now we can use this to find Rachel. But maybe yeah, anybody can use, like before, Cerebro required you to have some sort of psi ability, which just meant that uh, Phoenix or the Professor or Magneto obviously could use it. Now anybody can. Right. Uh, they could also use this to find Nightcrawler, because remember, he's he's also still missing. Mm-hmm. Um, the X-Men struggle as hard as we can to help people, but nobody cares. Is this what's going to be like for the rest of my life, Kitty Wonders? Quite possibly, says a just-arriving Colossus with Ileana. Yep. And you wish to quit? She's like, what she wishes for is a super hot fudge quad scoop Sunday banana split with all the trimmings. 
Gross, that's disgusting, says Ilyana. Lockheed disagrees as he goes, yum. Oh, he's looking at Beefcake's Colossus. Oh, you think he's saying yum to Colossus and not the yeah. ice cream? He's like, oh, I love that outfit. And that's when Kitty gets serious and she's like, Rachel deserted us. Uh, we needed her. Uh, we were there to help her and she didn't help us. She Not only, exactly fair. She didn't. She only thought of herself. Right. I mean, Wolverine stabbed her. So there's a lot of factors in place there. A lot of X factors. <laughs> Not yet. Don't get ahead of yourself. So tell me, what do you do when people you trust, people you maybe even love, betray you? Which has got a sting because she's asking that to Colossus, the guy who she uh, maybe even loved and who betrayed her. But Colossus says, I take each moment as it comes. Magneto was once our deadliest foe, yet now he is the headmaster of the school. Anything is possible. Now he is our deadliest friend. Yes. And that's when Cerebro starts spouting off. And Kitty says, hey, uh, one of our teammates is missing. So I guess now it just runs automatically. Sure. And you don't even need anybody to be there. Yeah, only psychically aware people could hear that bip, bip, bip sound. Although, wasn't there an issue way, 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 way back when where Cyclops was sitting in the professor's room just listening to the steady beeping of Cerebro? He'd been psychically trained. Oh, okay. And we move towards Manhattan where Magneto essentially appears. He's got, I don't know, some magnetic suit that he's able to control so that his costume can turn into a nice suit. And he's heading over to the Hellfire Club. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of like, okay, this is, all of this is unnecessary. All you need to really have is Magneto show up at the Hellfire Club. You don't need all these other panels. But this issue is kind of a bridge issue. So I think they're kind of struggling to put it, fill it with content. So we, we arrive at the Hellfire Club with Magneto, which is right outside of uh, Central Park, where they had just fought Nimrod. And apparently the gang, the X-Factor gang, also just, um, wait, have they fought anybody yet? No, I don't think they have yet. No, wait, this is just, this is just after the beginning of the events of Issue 9, so we don't know where they're getting back from. Uh, they were originally called out because of the battle that was happening between X-Factor and the Hellfire Club and Nimrod. That's why they are there. But then the Hellfire Club, I'm not the Hellfire Club, Freedom Force, Freedom Force also showed up because they wanted to get their hands on Rusty. And I can't remember if this group of people has met up with Freedom Force yet. And the point is that X-Factor sees Magneto. Um, Magneto sees X-Factor, takes Jean Grey to be Cyclops' wife, uh, Madeline Pryor. Right. So he's looking at them like, X-Factor, I've heard of them. Uh, and of that name, often of late, they're adventurers who profess to deal with mutants. But that's... The original X-Men. And it must be uh, the woman there. must be Cyclops' wife, Madeline Pryor. The original surviving members of the X-Men, he thinks to himself. And Jean says, Scott, on the sidewalk, Magneto. Angel says, should we do something? And Cyclops says, too big a crowd, Warren. Too great a risk of bystanders being hurt. We'll wait and watch. Let him make the next move. Let him make the next move. Look, he's entering the Hellfire Club. Figures, what's better place for a villain than among his own kind? Yep, so X-Factor continues to believe that Magneto is a bad guy. Um, and then Magneto also is like, I do not believe it. Charles Xavier's original students and first X-Men hunting down, incarcerating, destroying their fellow mutants. How could they have so betrayed their heritage, Xavier's ideals? I should probably go ask them. But 
that's not the way this works. Right. Not only should I maybe just go ask them, but maybe I'm too afraid to ask them. So I'm going to go have a meeting with the X-Men, with Storm and Colossus and Wolverine and say, hey, you'll never guess who I saw out in Central Park after your battle with Nimrod. I found the original X-Men, but they're posing as mutant hunters. Don't you think that's weird? <laughs> And then Storm could be like, yeah, that is weird. Maybe I'll just go over to X-Factor and ask them, because I was always friendly with all those people. Oh, my God, Jean Grey's alive! <laughs> yeah, hey, I know you. We used to be best friends. Uh, and then none of what happens for the next 50 issues happens. <laughs> but no, uh, Magneto believes the worst about them. Oh, they must be doing something bad. They assume the worst about me, so I must assume the worst about them. Look, and I get it. For the, for the purpose of telling this story and for keeping this continuity going it's really the only thing they can do but as magneto wouldn't you be like wait a minute now i fought against those kids time and time again and i offered them power and abilities and they never they always held to their ideals like what's happening here maybe i should follow up on this and plus i've adventured with scott like we've been maybe not friends but we fought side by side <laughs> ah i don't know Anyways, yes, for the purpose of this story, though, none of them do any of that. And each feels... Well, actually, I don't think X-Men... So Magneto never tells the X-Men what he saw because the X-Men never really follow up on this whole X-Factor thing. They don't know that Scott, etc. are X-Factor. He forgot. <laughs> this really important thing happened when I was selling my soul to Hellfire Club, uh, but I forgot what it was. Promise, if I think of what it was, I'll tell you. Well, he's not selling his soul to the Hellfire Club. Well, so not initially. He, he comes to the Hellfire Club because he's been invited here, and Shaw's like, look, dangerous times are coming. Uh, there is a seat over there where the White King used to be that's vacant and Maybe you want to have a seat there, Magneto. Kind of work together. Well, maybe not work together, but look, we're mutants. Times are dangerous. Let's... You must be joking. Only last night, your consort, the Black Queen, attempted to slay the X-Men. And Emma Frost, the White Queen, has often tried to suborn my novice students, the New Mutants. Yep. They say, well, we acted in self-defense. Um... Shaw says, like, the most reasonable thing here. He says, uh, you consider us villains, we consider you fools. Those days, those labels must be cast aside. Ours and alliances of necessity, for only in unity is their true strength. Alone we can uh, be eliminated by one, uh, one by one, by X-Factor, by the government's freedom force, that robot Nimrod. We may all hang together, Magneto, but I guarantee we haven't a prayer of enduring separately. Well, this kind of mirrors the the uh, opening scene where uh, Richard reached out to Tommy and said, "Together we can work together, but separately we have no hope." Yep, absolutely. Magneto thinks it's a most tempting offer, but he wants to take it back to the X Men before he agrees to do anything because he's a stand up guy. He's going to take this back to the X Men, but that whole X Factor thing about the original team being mutant hunters—that he's not going to take back to the X Men. Totally forgot about all that. <laughs> I mean, these people are like meticulous record and file updaters. Like you would think that Cyclops and Iceman and Angel all have a file in the X-Men that, that, you know, Magneto would go through and update them with like Mutant Hunter. And, you know, Storm, she's a go-getter. She would have read that. But no. <laughs> uh, Magneto, he's a wild card. He doesn't, he doesn't keep files. Yeah. I keep it all up in my head. 
Well, anyways, uh, at some warehouses uh, along the Hudson River, uh, Nightcrawler is being chased by a whole bunch of humans. They're throwing beer bottles and food and other stuff at him. I want to know how Nightcrawler got this outfit. Right, because when he teleported from Nimrod... With a large yow! He was wearing his costume, and now he's got like some brown corduroys and the white t-shirt on i'm willing to think that he wears the t-shirt under his costume i'm okay with that the pants lots of people wear an undershirt the pants he had to steal and i want to see that (laughs) where's that miniseries uh nightcrawler's like look i I haven't done anything why would they listen there's nowhere to hide i'm too weak to fight and no professor to save me like the day he did when i joined the x-men so this is this is uh mirroring a nightcrawler's first appearance where he was being chased by a crowd intentionally Absolutely. Uh, Ileana has teleported Kitty and Colossus to this warehouse because with the aid of Cerebro. And uh, Kitty's like, okay, Ileana, there he is. Let's just teleport him out of here and get out. And uh, Colossus is like, no, not yet, Kitty. And he jumps down and he lectures these people. Why are you chasing this man? Is he a criminal? He's worse than any criminal, mister. He's a mutie. <laughs> yes. I got a kick out of that voice. <laughs> One of the guys, or the women there, she talks about the pair of radioactive muties that attacked the X-Factor building, referring to Glowworm and Bulk from X-Factor 7. They tore up the street that could have contaminated the whole city, but X-Factor drove them off. So this whole issue is basically, this is like the dividing wedge issue between humans, mutants, and X-Factor just feeding that fire. Is he one of them, Colossus says, pointing at Nightcrawler? If he has broken the law, then let the proper authorities... Uh, human laws for human beings. Back off. Well, you get the same. And that's when Kitty jumps in, and, you know, Kitty's cool when it comes to this sort of stuff. Like, you know she's afraid, but she's not going to let anybody know she's afraid, so she jumps in and she's like, Look, long time ago there was this crazy guy over in Germany also said Jews weren't human. Look what happened there. You want that to happen here? A guy steps up and says, he scared my kids. And Kitty says, you scare me. Does that give me the right to beat your brains out? You want to prove how big and tough you are? Beat up on me. Come on. What are you waiting for? You're bigger than me. I'm just a girl. Hey, maybe I'm a mutie too. Ever think of that? Maybe we all are. Maybe the big guy can turn into steel and his kid sister's a demon sorceress and I can walk through walls. And everybody's like, that's really far-fetched. <laughs> Maybe when you're done, you can hang our heads on the wall as trophies, or better yet, take our scalps like they did in the Wild West. That'll really be something to be proud of. An older woman, not really that much older, but she comes up and she's like, you shouldn't talk to your elders like that, young lady. I don't to those I respect. And then she snaps her fingers and drops the mic. Yeah. And so any, I I think when I read this issue, I was probably 12 years old, and I was like, yeah, you tell authority. <laughs> you have the upper hand. I feel like Kitty like framed a lot of my 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 younger behaviors, just because she's so like confident and sure of herself. Even though deep down, you know, she's like shaking in her boots. Well, yeah, I mean, but she's standing up for what she knows, what she thinks, and what she knows is right. And uh, Ileana's like, "Whoa, that's crazy! You call me the silver tongue devil? That's not bad." Blame it on your brother of all the lunatic stunts. And so they eventually talk to Nightcrawler, and they're like, "Hey." Uh, why didn't you just teleport out of there? I could not catch tonight. Seem to have lost my power. Oh my god. That'll be long. <laughs> I don't remember how that plays out, to be honest. I know it doesn't go well for him, but... 
anyways, so yeah, he uh, he for now, anyways, for the rest of this issue, he can't teleport. We switch our attention now over to an amphitheater, Della Corta Theater. All right, this is where uh, Rachel met up with Spiral. Ah, uh, yes, issue. So Nightcrawler, uh, Wolverine's been tracking her scent, and it just goes cold here. She's with Storm, and uh, you know they have a little conversation about how could it be possible that she just disappeared. But then they go it's gone, on, boss. Where the X Men can't follow. They go on, and and Wolverine's kind of like, well, it's my fault. Uh, I, I I went after her. Do you think it was the right thing to do, Storm? And Storm's like, well, we're a team, and if you want to be part of this team, I'd really like it if you respected and treated me as the leader that I am. Wolverine's like, oh. Yeah, she, he, she makes a good point. She says, I don't object to your attempting to stop Rachel, but you shouldn't have done so by yourself. Right, absolutely. You're a bullheaded fool. And uh, this is the scene that we needed a couple issues ago, and instead of when Wolverine was just being like, I did what I did, leave me alone. Right. This is this is this is this is way better in my opinion. Yeah, and maybe Claremont realized that, or maybe he's just filling pages. But this really humanizes the entire experience. Wolverine says, uh, "Oh, my life, I've been a loner." Uh, and Storm's like, "Fine, then walk away. Uh, we cannot afford it next time. The stakes have grown too high. Uh, but if we're to be a team, you need to be here." She kind of doesn't even give him a chance to walk away. She's like, "Then walk away, but we can't afford to have you walk away. You right. must be here." He's like, okay. And he's like, I will. I will be till the end. Clasp each other's hands. They're a team. Yep. And this is where uh, storytelling-wise or character-building-wise, where I really feel like uh, a a bond has, like a much larger bond has been formed between Storm and Wolverine. I don't know. Just just the way that this this panel, these two panels are, are framed. Well, they've always, they've always had a respect, and this really builds on that. Yeah. And, and solidifies is, it like like it's, it's a very uh concrete uh evidence of of that that we haven't seen in a while and, and we're going to see a little bit more of this in the next you know few issues too but anyways uh back to tommy she she's been cross-country hopping trains trying to get herself back to manhattan to a place that she's familiar with her home if she will and she makes it down to her tunnels, and she's like, oh, there's no way anybody could have followed me here. And she yells out, I'm safe. I don't know why she yells that. Eh, she's a big baseball fan. <laughs> and she's hit with another harpoon, and somebody says, surprise, sweetheart. She screams. Yarg! And five more silhouettes come up and says, you figured we were chumps. Should have listened to your boyfriend, to your Hellfire Club boyfriend. He had it pegged. Together you had a chance. Alone? Too bad. We let you go so you'd lead us to your fellow Mor- Morlocks. No hard feelings. Nothing personal. It's our job. We're pros. The best. Marauders. Click, clack. And he shoots her. Don't feel sad, youngster. Because where you're going, you'll soon have lots of company. Boom! Goes the shotgun. Next issue, Massacre. So I'll have to pay attention because, um, spoilers, this is the beginning of the Mutant Massacre. But I don't remember, like, why they wanted to massacre the mutants. Okay. (laughs) So I I just, as we go through these... we, We know they have a boss. Right. And we know that they're working with... Uh, Malice as well. So presumably Malice is not the boss. So that's really all we know at this point. Right. Right. One could assume that Malice is a marauder and Dazzler is a key piece of this, maybe, based on what we know today. I don't know. Anyhow, yeah, so there you go. X-Men number 210. So to me, this issue, uh, 
when I uh, first was getting into comics, uh, so like we're really close to like the month that the comic that I first bought of the X-Men was available. Um, so th- this is just slightly before that. And a lot of things changed. So as I'm reading this issue, I'm like, who are half these people? Not really. I knew who they were, but I'm, it was a, very different lineup. But I also, like, there's no, um, there's no, this isn't a story, really. Like, there's no beginning, middle, and end of this issue. It's just kind of like, here are some things that happen. And well, when it's, it, it's, it's, it's a bridge between, uh, the, the last episode, the Battle of Central Park and the Mutant Massacre. Right. So this is, this is, this is basically the bridge. Absolutely. They have to wrap up some ends so that they can get ready to the to the next story. Right. And so when I would read this issue when I was young, I never really liked it. But when I put everything together, I don't know, it took multiple reads and multiple time to appreciate. Like, okay, look, you know, there's, there's some shooting and stuff from some silhouetted people, but the X-Men really aren't fighting anybody. Uh, but it's more uh, story building and character building. It's else. it's a very character driven story. Even if if you even if you don't know a lot about the X Men, like even if this is like your first issue of the X Men, you wouldn't really know what was going on, but you would learn a lot about you'd, you'd learn a lot about what was going on. Actually, you'd you'd learn that mutants are hated, and you'd learn a little bit about everybody's character because uh, everybody's pretty well written in this, and you you get quite a lot of detail about the characters. So I don't know. The only thing you might not know, and I'm not complaining here, but uh, I don't. Everybody kind of details what their powers are and what they do, uh, and I think you even maybe you do you see Wolverine's claws? I don't remember. Yeah, if you do he, or not. he he snicks and snacks. Yeah, he does. You're right, uh, but I don't think you see anything about Storm and her not having powers. She doesn't have any powers. Yeah, not complaining, but that's a whole first issue thing. You might be a little confused, but. Uh, that's whatever. That's neither here nor there. Uh, it's, so it's a really good issue uh, is, is what I'm trying to get at that I underappreciated when I was younger. I'll say. There you go. All right. So if you would like to reach out to us and uh, let us know what you're looking forward to as it pertains to the X-Men, the mutant massacre or whatever mutant related. Or is it issue 345? Maybe. Yeah. 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 And, and you're way late to the party. Uh, and you want a shout out from the future, but to the past, uh, you know, reach out to us. We're at uh, www.xmenpodcast.com. Uh, you can get to us at Danger Room Go, www.facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. And we are also at uh, Danger Room at redcapproductions.com. If you prefer email, you can go out to iTunes and search for us under the podcast section. We're Danger Room. We're the only one that comes up. We're at 98 pieces of feedback on iTunes. Just looking for those last two for Adam's amazing prize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you can also get a hold of us at uh, 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. And uh, as we might as well just keep going here with the whole mutant massacre, it begins... And continues in X-Factor number nine. Indeed. Um, X-Factor number nine essentially take, and picks up where X-Factor number eight left off, where uh, X-Factor kind of gets separated from Rusty and Skids. Actually, I don't even really remember if they met up, uh, but uh, Freedom Force has just about got the drop on Rusty, and uh, we flip over our attention to X-Factor, which is running across the street, trying to find, um, I mean, I don't know, just trying to get their bearings on what's going on. 
Um, they I feel do, like the jogger on page two is the same jogger from the pages of the X-Men. X-Men 204? Yeah. Yeah. I First thing I thought of when I saw her as well, but that can't be. She's a princess. No, I, well, the princess wasn't the jogger, was she? Yeah, she I was. Th- I'm thinking of the, the, the jogger from a couple issues ago where... Uh, Phoenix is in Central Park oh. and that jogger is running by. She's like thinking like, gotta run, keep fit. Oh, I don't know. All okay. these joggers are dressed the same. So the princess and this one, they're all the same. Yeah, I don't know. It's like a princess has got a jog too. I see. Now going back to what we talked about on X-Men, I think that they bumped into Freedom Force. Because well, they, they do in this, in yeah, this they very, talk, yeah. Well, they say right here, yeah, kid, the poor kid chased by the likes of Freedom Force. Let's hope we find him before they do. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. So, so I think they like bumped into him. And I, I feel like Scott even yelled out like Mystique. Yeah. And she did. And Mystique's like, Destiny, do we know him? And Destiny's like, oh, there's a cloud of mystery as it surrounds X-Factor. Yeah, that mm-hmm. happened. Um, anyways, but what it doesn't matter. Uh, what what does matter is they're they're heading across the street, moving away from some traffic. They have a very similar conversation with a cop who's like, uh, hey, X-Factor, it's good to see you. And he's like, why don't you call the Avengers? He's like, oh, the Avengers and Fantastic Four, they're all the same. And they're like, oh, they're humans just with altered abilities. And he's like, what's the difference? You guys, you're our own kind. And Gene's like, oh, it's disgusting. I can't believe it. And that's when they see across the street Magneto. What? And Cycl- That already happened. It did. So this is exactly the same, same time as what we just read in X-Men... 209 i mean 210 210 and uh instead of uh, uh magneto just thinking to himself about hmm, well, that's x factor over there that looks like scott and the rest of the original x-men he yells out scott which i just want to say he's just thinking great scott <laughs> well and in the context of this page it makes sense because he's like dude like three months ago we were fighting alpha flight remember that i was there but then, but then, having shouted, Scott, why does he just keep on walking? And he's still looking back. You can see it. And then he stops looking back and he just goes in. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, there's four lanes of traffic, presumably, between X-Factor and Magneto. Gene runs out after Magneto's like, oh, my God, let me go, Warren. Don't you see it's Magneto? Warren grabs her and is like, I just saved your life. <laughs> Scott, the man's a villain a criminal but he just walked by a squad of cops and they didn't even blink it's insane and scott's not like yeah i know but look let me tell you a story about some stuff that just happened like i'm a little on the fence too but he seems like he might have reformed no instead of saying that he's like yeah how can you expect anything else in the world where the former brotherhood of evil mutants calls itself freedom force and works for the government and where Magneto, who created the Brotherhood, has taken Xavier's place as leader of the X-Men, and where the X-Men's new leader has openly joined the villainous Hellfire Club. Let's not ask any questions and just make a whole lot of assumptions. He's walking into the store, scary the, the, the building, Scott. That doesn't mean he's a member. Right, right. And as we know from the pages of X-Men 210, he's going in to be like, I don't know why you called me here, Shaw, but I'm actually a little disappointed that you attacked my students last night. Only then to be invited to join the Hellfire Club, whereas Scott leaps to the impression of, Hey, that's the White King! Hey, if I was to walk into that building, I too would be openly joining the Hellfire Club. That's just the way it is! <laughs> so, yeah, maybe it's, I think it's, uh, Louise Simonson is writing this issue? 
Yes. Um, who? I mean, don't get me wrong. She does a fantastic job with her run on X Factor. But it's kind of like maybe uh, they had a meeting about what they kind of wanted to have happen, but they didn't really work through all the dialogue. <laughs> then he says, I'm just glad that Professor Xavier isn't here to witness this betrayal right. because we we did believe that it, it, it's no betrayal because they never once believed that Magneto was good in the first place. Right, right. Well, I mean, maybe from Scott's perspective, he's like, oh, maybe there was a glimmer. Like this is the nail in the coffin? Yeah, like there was a glimmer of good in him, and maybe I could have been swayed, but no, he's going into the Hellfire Club. My question, though, is Gene says, uh, oh, never mind. I thought Gene at some point had said something about him going into the Hellfire Club. And I was going to point out that she doesn't know who the Hellfire Club is, but she doesn't, so never mind. Uh, X-Factor continues to pursue Rusty and Skids. A bunch of things happen with the humans uh, who are just like, I don't, you guys are feds. I don't, you're mutants. Mutants are bad. And they start hurling rocks and stuff at. Not just at, at. Uh, at Freedom Force. Yeah, at Freedom Force. Uh, eggs and all sorts of stuff. And Blob's like, let me at him. And Destiny, or Mystique is like, no, no, no. Like, we're we're the good guys now. Like, we have to play it uh, above board. And while all of this is going on, Rusty and Skids slip away. Uh, X-Factor actually kind of comes in and saves Freedom Force by, well, Gene puts up a psychic screen a telekinetic screen around them. X-Factor calls it high-tech mutant gear. <laughs> All the humans are like, yay! And of course, Destiny, every time she sees X-Factor, she's like, oh, there's a cloud of mystery around them. I don't know anything. I can't see the future. Can't see that that's just the X-Men over there. Don't know. Did I tell you about the cloud of mystery around <laughs> them? I forget. <laughs> I'm very tired. And my heart hurts. Mystery. So, also senses a cloud of mystery in in the mutant tunnels. Yeah, all I see there is death. She she or maybe I just have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm not sure. She sees that Rusty has entered the tunnels, but she's like, I don't I don't think we should go down there because all I see is death and Mystique. She's like she I think she kind of knows like we have to produce a result for Valerie. So. I don't care what you see, but we got to go get him. Meanwhile, at X-Factor headquarters, Artie is seeing all of this. He's seeing Rusty and Skids. He's seeing Freedom Force. And then he is seeing some guy with a lightning bolt who is is either killed somebody or is about to kill somebody. And he's like, he doesn't know what to do. So he runs over to Cameron Hodge and he's showing him all these images. And Cameron's like, get out of here, you little freak. Have your fit somewhere else. I don't have time for this. And he is actually seeing Tommy getting killed, according to the caption. So Artie gets the idea because he, he can't speak, and apparently he doesn't know how to uh, write either. So so he grabs some pens out, and what he actually does is trace his, um, his uh, projections onto the wall so that when X-Factor makes it back to their complex, they see this drawing on the wall, and they're like, okay, this is weird, but I think Artie's trying to tell us something. He must have taken a good hour before he left to draw this. Because <laughs> it's very, it's a very good drawing. Um, and so X-Factor gears up as the exterminators and they head down to the tunnels to find Artie and ultimately Rusty. As Artie is looking for uh, Rusty and Skids, his visions disappear as he meets a familiar silhouetted uh, hatted boy. It's Leech. It's oh, Leech. Yeah. It's a good panel, though. Um 
Angel, we get reminded that Angel knows all about the Morlocks from the time that he get kid he got kidnapped. Yeah, remember that? I do, I do, and it's actually pretty helpful here that the the panel shows like, hey. X-Men 169 and 170. Callisto kidnapped him. Be so, there or be square. So Iceman and Beast, they haven't been down there. And I don't know that Cyclops has been introduced to the Morlocks yet. Mm. Anyhow, uh, so you, Leech and Artie have a kind of a little touching uh, meet and greet for the first time. And uh, Leech takes Artie to be introduced to Caliban. Hey, before we, I just want to say this, this five panels, five or six panels of, of Leech and Artie meeting is, is priceless. Oh, this Ed, is, yeah. This is great stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm breezing over it, but this, this whole, this whole series of X Factor that I've covered so far is not to be missed. And this issue in particular is, is also, it's just another bridge issue that just like, connects one story to another story but also builds story and builds character so at least luis and uh chris got that correct freedom force finally catches up with rusty and skids uh and blob grabs onto rusty kind of surprising him from the back and just starts slamming him against the morlock tunnels um effectively like mortally wounding him like this isn't he's not like he's not messing around and mystique's like come on stop it like we're feds we need to bring him in alive like you can't you can't hurt him like you are and that's when the exterminators show up and uh start shooting at uh uh Freedom Force and uh, Mystique's like, I know you. You're the X-Men. I guess you're the Exterminators. I guess you're evil mutants. That's weird because we're good mutants. We're Freedom Force. Um, and they fight. Um, I'm so confused, says Destiny. Yeah, there's a bunch of fighting. Destiny, again, is there's a lot of mystery surrounding them. But, but Destiny's uh, ultimately like, we look, I, I know you need to find this rusty kid, but like bad stuff's about to happen. And if we stay down here, we will die. And Mystique is like, uh, are you sure about this? And in a very nice panel where she's like, very like, okay, like there's something in your voice or something in your eyes. Like I can tell you mean business. And Destiny's like, I've never been sure of anything in my life. Uh, and so Destiny's like, okay, we're out of here. Reinforce. Let's go. And so they make their exit. Uh, the rest of X Factor, I mean, Rusty is, he's really injured. He's potentially even dying. And so the uh, X Factor has to split up to get X Factor back to, or to get Rusty back to the X Factor complex for medical attention. Uh, so Angel and Marvel Girl take Rusty back because they're the fastest ones that can make it, where Iceman, Beast, and Cyclops continue on down the tunnels. And that's when they start hearing the screaming. And nearby in the tunnels, mutants start to die. Meanwhile, at the Pentagon, though, um, Valerie is not happy. She's like, look, you needed to get Rusty. Like, he's a mutant. You're my mutant squad. You didn't get the mutant. I'm really mad at you. And if you can't do this job, I'm going to have to kick you off the payroll. Get out of my office. And everyone's like, oh, man. Uh, but Mystique, she knows. She's like, you know what's weird? <laughs> Warren Worthington, the angel, the millionaire playboy, is an evil mutant. We need to look into what's going on with this guy. Something's fishy. I told you. Yep. And she says, uh, w the best part of this whole sequence, though, is that apparently Blob wears reading glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's just like a neat little touch. Like, you would never think about that. He's like reading a report and he's got his glasses on. Ha, the exterminators ain't no upstart group. They're part of the X-Men. I fought them enough to... I know that Blob and I was going to tell her that. And she told me to shut up, so I did. I'd recognize those Cyclopsian... Or, I'd recognize Cyclops moves anywhere. 
We're going to tap into Uncle Sam's computers and learn what he's been up to lately, and then we'll give that reporter Trish Tilby a call. Bum, bum, bum. Adam, do you think if they look into Warren Worthington's affairs, they'll find out that maybe he's the primary backer of X Factor? Uh, maybe. <laughs> oh. oh. I haven't read ahead yet. Oh, so. I'm just I'm just speculating as a reader like that Dane Danger. That's what Mystique thinks. Or do you think Cameron Hodge and Angel would have put enough protections in place that such a tracing wouldn't be possible? Yeah, it's probably all under a third mysterious party's name. <laughs> You'd think so. But anyhow, here you go. X Factor number nine. Before we continue, we got a big old piece of fan mail. This letter is from John Aaron, who is not the Game of Thrones character. There's a John Aaron on Game of Thrones? Yeah, wasn't John Aaron the guy who was the Hand of the King before Ned Stark? Oh, Lord. <laughs> Way back in season one, the guy that, that died mysteriously, and that's why Ned Stark had to show up and be the new Hand? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I think that, so this letter is not from that guy. Okay. He uh, discovered his, our podcast a few months ago and he's been alternating. This is a kind of common theme. Uh, I think we've seen with other uh, listeners who discover our podcast is that they alternate between like the old stuff and uh, the current episodes. So uh, he apparently started midway. Uh, with giant size number one and also followed along with the new stuff. But I gotta, I gotta say, John Aaron, like there's some, there's some gifts to our listeners <laughs> in those older issue episodes. Some comedy gold. Yeah. Stuff that we haven't been able to reproduce ever since because the, the material just isn't where it used to be. <laughs> We're no uh, longer as funny. Yeah, so so treat yourself. Go back to the first episode. We might be a little bit more rusty, but, but the material... But I, I would say like seven to nine episodes in, we are on a roll. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's been interesting, the gradual evolution of Wolverine's backstory, defining his characteristics. Who would have guessed that his name was revealed by leprechauns? Yeah, they seem to not talk about that ever. I don't think that will ever be talked about again. <laughs> <laughs> nope. And who would have guessed that while he was on a dinosaur that was trying to bite his arm off, we would learn about his adamantium bones and healing factor. Yeah, they don't really talk about that either. I'm curious when we first learned that his healing factor slows his aging. And I want to say I just I was just reading something. I think it was in like like a Marvel Age or one of those official guides to the Marvel Universe where it's about this time period where they talk about uh, Logan's healing factor slows his aging. So determining his actual age is impossible. They also have not talked about his adamantium skeleton poisoning him. Right. No, that, that won't be a thing till way later. Yeah. Uh, so, John Aaron, I believe that not in the pages of the X-Men uh, has that been discovered about his aging being slowed, but in other sources that are official Marvel, uh, it has been talked about. Uh, let's see. Something that we've covered or something that we have yet to cover? I don't think we've covered it because I don't think it's like an issue. I think it's just like, you know, one of those official guide to the Marvel Universe books where it's oh, just like, here's a character and here's all about him. It'd be interesting that when they, I mean, he, he's already talked about like something about the cigarette smoking scene with Kitty. Right. I can't, I wish I, it was right about the time that I had first read John's emails. Like, I just read something in about this time period. The official handbook to the Marvel Universe? Yeah, one of those things. 
Uh, at the time of the Marvel or the Wolverine miniseries, I believe that Wolverine is still supposed to be no older than 30s or 40s. Yeah, that's probably true. However, Wolverine entry in the original official handbook to the Marvel Universe published in 87 says that the healing factor cannot be estimated. So somewhere between the publication of the miniseries and that entry, there would have been some indication in the pages of the X-Men. I don't think so. I think the only indication of his aging being slowed by his healing factor is in that official handbook of the Marvel Universe. At this point. at Well, in the pages of the X-Men. I'm sure like they can like retcon that later on. Well, I mean but, where we are. Yeah. But I mean there's no uncanny X-Men that exists in 1980 – what are we at? 87, 86? That, that, that explicitly says Wolverine's age is, is slowed. Yes. Yeah. First mentioned 19th century and Wolverine number 10. Adam, you're the expert with Wolverines. Is that a true thing? Uh, yeah, that that is the uh, that is the first time we see Wolverine like b- way before he was Wolverine, and and it's the first time we see the uh, the saber tooth uh, conflict. Okay, that was Wolverine number ten. Yeah, it's a really good issue. Um, Wolverine, Wolver- the first few issues, like first few issues of Wolverine, are tell a story and then they just kind of start doing one shots and then they do another limited series of like six issues and then they do some more one shots and the one shots are all over the place. Sometimes they're really, really bad and sometimes they're really, really good. There's even some terrible Jim Lee stuff in the twenties. Good. Nice. I can't wait. Uh, it talks about Claremont's intention with Sabretooth. still obscure Z list villain. We're going to talk a little bit more about this before this episode is over uh and yes he definitely makes his mark in the mutant massacre uh in your episode covering new mutants number one adam noted that this was the first time the room had been depicted as star trek the next generation like holodeck we talked about that i uh yes yeah i don't know but that was beating star trek by several years however star trek can't be accused of ripping off the x-men because a holodeck called the rec room was shown in an episode of star trek the animated series so potentially claremont was influenced by that i've heard about this from the star trek animated series i've never seen that episode because i find the animated series very difficult to get through (laughs) i've only painfully boring i've only seen one episode and it's it's really bad, like Hanna Barbera animation. There's not a lot of movement, right? Things don't move, and when they do move, it's the same way that they moved previously. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great for the because they got all the original cast, and the stories are uh, they got to do more interesting things. But yeah, the animation makes it very slow, and it's I find it very difficult to watch, and like it doesn't it doesn't keep my attention. And I like slow stuff. Yeah. Uh, finally, regarding your recent episode, 20628 of the X-Men will always have a special place in my heart. Those are the first three issues I ever owned. Bought them together at Toys R Us, set package, plastic bag, uh, and began regular, regularly collecting every issue ever since. Nostalgia, blah, blah, blah. I don't think it's just nostalgia. I think it's. Uh, I think those are just good issues. The late 80s X-Men is the peak X-Men, and I'm looking forward to your take on it. Later, futzers. Yeah. Hey, you can't call us futzers. <laughs> um, and maybe it's my nostalgia clouding my judgment too, but I've read an awful lot of stories, a lot of comic books, um, and I uh, I don't think this stuff... We'll talk about this too. As, as we flow through the issues that we're coming up on, um, I will, as long as we're still doing the podcast, point to the issue where I'm like, this is where everything went off the rails for me. Even though I kept collecting beyond that, this is where like something happened, something changed. Um we're not there yet, but I, I will point that out when we get there. And it's probably 
very late 90s or early 90s when that happens. And it's, Everything it's, changed it's, in the 90s. It's pre-Jim Lee, so I'm not, I'm not, I can't blame Jim, Jim Lee for it, for the change. I, I don't blame Jim Lee for anything. Yeah. He's he, a nice guy. He drew really good pictures. He's an amazing artist. Yeah. Uh, he does say that he disagrees with me when we covered Wolverine issue one. And I won, uh, Wolverine mentions his something about his father. And I, I speculate that that's a reference to his, to Sabretooth. Uh, he disagrees with that notion. I think I read that somewhere and I was just kind of spitballing. I don't know how much of it is true or not. I always had heard that Chris Claremont had plans for Sabretooth, whether or not that's true or retroactively true. Who knows? Um, most of what I say is probably wrong. <laughs> Based on how I've read Ec- or Sabretooth in any of the other issues, um, I would think it's another case of Chris Claremont being like, nobody's giving this character any respect, so I'm going to take him and fix him. Well, he was, like, Sabretooth was or, or originally, uh, his first appearance was in a Chris Claremont joint. That's true. Like so Power Man he, or something? Yeah, Iron Fist number whatever. So I think he he likes, you know, we know he likes his characters and he likes bringing them in where he can. So who knows? Well, speaking of Sabretooth, why don't we take a quick peek at uh, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man number 119. Yeah, this is the last appearance of Sabretooth before he reappears in Uncanny X-Men. And it's, it's rough. <laughs> More than likely, this occurred before 210. Maybe not. I don't know. Date-wise, it might not have, but continuity-wise, it certainly feels like it would have. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sabretooth is still kind of a lone wolf, hitman, goofy foil. He's trying to impress this guy, Mr. Big or Mr. Moneybags, whatever his name is. Some criminal boss. Continuity-wise, this issue came out the same month as X-Men 210. So then I guess Chris Claremont talked to, who wrote this issue? Peter David. Peter David and said, Peter, I need you to wrap up Sabretooth because you can't have him anymore. <laughs> Can I do it however I want? Sure, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care, but just he can't be dead by the time the issue's over. Cover-wise, it's a great cover. I like the cover a lot. Sabretooth's back, and this time he's out for blood, and he's ripping through the cover. So I don't know what happened, but Sabretooth is in the hospital. Because in the last issue, he scratched his own face trying to pull off the webbing. Oh, yeah. Of, of Spider-Man. So so now he wants revenge against Spider-Man and Black Cat and everybody. And it's it's very goofy because he's just like a one-note goofy guy, which, I mean, to be fair to Peter David, look at, look at him. He doesn't look like he should be anything. He's a really goofy-looking villain. He He's also very one-dimensional, so he... He's he wants to kill people. That's all he wants to do. His only motivation is to kill people. He, ultimately, he wants to kill Spider Man and then um, Power Man and Iron Fist. But Spider Man for sure. But before he gets there, he like he he'll kill anybody. He doesn't even care. So he takes this doctor who's like, oh, Mister Sabretooth, like the surgery was great. Like you're you're better. And the guy's like, you're dead. You're first. Sabretooth's like, you're dead. And then he goes to the cop. He's like, number two. Yeah. And then he finds somebody else. like, number three. And there's a narration that goes alongside him where he's like, now comes the slaughter. There, more bodies to cover over the shame. More blood to wash away the humiliation. The rage guides him and he follows gladly, which we know is not associated with the Sabretooth we know, but this is, this is Sabretooth at this point. Yep. He eventually gets the bandages off his face, and he more or less looks like the Sabretooth will come to know and love. Um, before, he was not so much 
animalistic like this, I don't think. He went, he waxed and waned. Yeah. I feel like in his first appearance with Iron Fist, he was exactly like this. And then in future Iron Fist and Power Man appearances, he became the homeless guy that was retroactively decided was going to be Sabretooth. Yeah. And it was all over the place. Um, There's a whole story with Peter Parker and Mary Jane. They're friends right now, but she's a little jealous and he's a little jealous. And I don't know. He's getting over Black Cat. Black Cat's getting over him. And uh, Sabretooth is now... is did Sabretooth is wearing the Sabretooth costume now. I don't know if yes. he was wearing that in previous issues. I don't think he was. I think he was in the last issue of Spider-Man that we covered, but definitely not in the Iron Man and or Iron Fist and Power Man yeah. issues. So he's got a fabric of Spider-Man's costume, which the scent is almost dissipated from, but there's enough of it for him to track. And so all across town, he's trying to find Spider-Man. Mary Jane's thrown him a party because Mary Jane wants him to be happy, I guess, or something. I don't know. And eventually, uh, uh, well, somebody starts... Oh, yeah. Somebody starts tracking Sabretooth, and Sabretooth is tracking Spider-Man. Yeah, Black Cat is tracking Sabretooth, and Sabretooth finds Peter Parker. Yep. And uh, Peter Parker's looking over at Mary Jane. He's like, oh, man, I got to do a thing. Yeah, and he, he realizes he's pretty sure that if Spider-Man shows up outside this party, people are going to figure out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. But he can't really do anything about that. He's got to stop Sabretooth from killing people. And then Black Cat shows up so he doesn't have to be Peter Parker. Well, but Sabretooth kills a fourth person. That's true. He kills, him, he kills another cop. Although, I don't think the cops die. So, three, four, and five? <laughs> His th- third, four, and, and fifth victims, I don't think, actually die. Okay. There's something where the cops are still alive. So he knows that Spider-Man is in this building. He doesn't know exactly where Spider-Man is. Uh, but before he's able to get to him, he gets kicked in the back, and it's Black Cat. It's like, hey, the last one uh, you wanted to kill, or the one you wanted to kill last time, but poor Spider-Man butted in. So let's finish this, and then they fight. She scratches his face where the wounds were, and she reopens his wounds, and she she keeps thinking to herself how fast he is and how strong he is. And she's pretty fast and strong, too, but punching him is like punching a brick wall. Oh, her powers were amped up somehow for some reason, so she's stronger than she ever was. Yeah. She lost her luck powers, though. Yeah. So, I don't know. They're fighting, and she's brutal. She's just, like, slamming his face into the ground, and his face is all broken up. Looks like teeth are falling out of his face. Yeah, she, he he bites her leg, and she just loses it. Yeah. And the police show up to basically have Black Cat stop beating this poor man up. Spider-Man is up on a, on a building. He's about ready to intervene, but realizes he doesn't have to. Uh, Black Cat looks up at Spider-Man, winks, and Spider-Man's now all conflicted. Like, oh, she winked at me. But Mary Jane, oh, I'm so conflicted. I like that the cops say, Miss, on the record, what you just did was out of line. Off the record, you got guts. So we're led to believe that Felicia Hardy has reformed and she wants to be with Spider-Man. But at the end of this issue, and we're never going to find out what happens with this. Apparently she is being controlled by some dude, not controlled, but she's partnering up with some dude. Um, Who was the, um, the guy from the last issue who was, who Sabretooth was trying to impress. Yeah. So they're all, I guess, trying to set up Spider-Man, but Black Cat, who knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, isn't giving up 
his identity to this guy. A villain whose name is The Foreigner. The Foreigner, that's right. Not that any of that matters, but if you're into Spider-Man right now, this is probably like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Well, if you know, it's, if you're into Spider-Man, you probably know exactly what we're talking about, but we don't. Yep. <laughs> so, who knows? Maybe Felicia Hardy's double agenting and she's setting up The Foreigner. Or she's a triple agent? Something like that. Whoa! Adam, you also had us read Marvel Fanfare number 32. And it was more of a skim. Yeah, I know. I didn't it's, read it. It's, I, it's a... Uh, very it's much a, skimmed uh, it. What was it? The, the Frog Guy story? It's got Captain America. It's got Frogman. Yeah. It's got uh, the the Captain America villain that we've talked about before. I can't remember. Uh, the Yellow Claw. And uh, basically, the Yellow Claw sort of takes over the world. He has Captain America prisoner. He's some sort of guru who everybody wants to believe is a good guy. The only one who is able to stop him is Frogman, um, who we know is a goofy premise. For all of the people that have been following our podcast, like we've diverged a little bit, right? Like we covered a little bit of Toad because we're curious about what's going on with Toad. Toad got hooked up with this dude Frogman in the pages of Spider-Man. They were supposed to form the all-losers team or whatever with Spider-Kid. And there's no Toad in this issue. It's just Frogman. It is. And the reason that we covered this is because very briefly, yeah, yeah, there's an X Factor appearance. Yeah, yeah. It's not even a full X Factor appearance. I think it's just Beast and Iceman. Spider Man catches wind that Frogman is somehow involved in something bad, so he talks to Frogman's father and is like, "Your son's out of line." <laughs> I'm gonna go get some help. So the help that he gets is Beast, Iceman, and, and Angel. Yes, and the Human Torch. And the Human Torch. And Frogman develops the ability to control the actions of giant frogs? There are giant frogs on the island that the Yellow Claw leaves to eat Frogman, but for some reason they like Frogman because he looks like a frog. And finally he thinks they he's... Actually, they look like Hypnotoad if you ever watch Futurama. They definitely look like Hypnotoads. So as Frogman's jumping into this whole thing where the Yellow Claw is, like everyone's afraid. He's like, yeah, everyone's afraid of me. But what he doesn't realize is that behind him is Human Torch, Spider-Man, Angel, Beast, and Iceman, who they're probably really afraid of. Yellow Claw is wearing a Galactus helmet for some reason. Yeah, there's a very brief fight, and uh, eventually Captain America gets up and yeah, crushes the Galactus hat, stops everything. Uh, Frogman's father shows up, yanks Frogman's mask off, and it's like, stop it. Yeah. And then there's a whole thing where uh, Steve Rogers is checking out the paper, catching up on history, and he finds out that the Yellow Claw was somebody from history, from like the 40s or late 30s. Yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Oh no, he discovers that the uh, the guy from the there's a, there's a, there's this guy that the yellow claw was impersonating. Oh, that's right. And the original version of him was the guy who was in the jail cell with Steve Rogers, who helped him uh, escape. Yeah. So yeah, you get about four pages of uh, which is weird now. So at this point in continuity, Angel, Beast, and Iceman are evil mutants on TV, the Exterminators. But Torch and Spider Man are like, "Hey, Beast, why did you let me? Or why did you let Webhead talk us all into coming into this mission?" Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Angel's burying his face and. Iceman looks surprised. So I don't know where this takes place in the continuity, but it could be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It could be. Uh, Put it where it best fits. There's a very twisted story about some 
like homeless murderer uh, in the back of this. It's a, I did not read that. Vision and Scarlet Witch story. It really has nothing to do with anything. But at first, like you look at the villain in here and it looks like uh, Pestilence, who we will come to learn the pages of x-factor but it's not it's just a homeless person who murders people for no reason that's it's dark yeah it's well that's what marvel fanfare is for yeah. unless it's a frogman issue <laughs> then not so much all right that's uh that's what we got for you this week finally we got new mutants number 45 oh yeah i didn't even look at this one what happened this is actually a really good issue um so the new mutants magneto and kitty pride are invited to the salem center high school spring dance the mutants are very happy to go to this thing because uh, they get to hang out with regular kids there's a lot of romance kitty meets a kid named larry bodine who is super shy and awkward and he's also secretly a mutant uh and while he goes to get some punch for kitty he encounters uh the stereotypical jocks at the party who are spiking the punch and making fun of mutants hey jeremy how many muties does it take to screw in a light bulb uh, uh i don't know muties don't need light bulbs they glow in the dark ah! so the the head jock uh doesn't like larry because he's a geeky kish shy kid and he's like you're probably a mutant and larry who is a mutant but nobody knows is like no i'm not ah! and they they decide to prank him because he freaks out so much and they leave him a x-factor flyer and they scrawl uh, an anonymous letter on it that says we know who you are and we're gonna call x-factor on you um after the dance, uh, Larry is hanging out with the New Mutants and Kitty. And on a side note, it is revealed that Doug uh, Cipher only ever thought of Kitty as a friend. Remember, they, they used to be a supposedly budding romance. Yeah, they were sweet on each other. Suppose. Well, we know that Kitty was sweet on Doug, but I guess I guess according to this... Doug was never sweet on Kitty, although he's telling that to Warlock. Maybe he's not telling him the truth. Who knows? Maybe he's sweet on Warlock. Maybe. Mm. Well, actually, we're going to learn who he's sweet on in the next couple of issues. Um, so Larry's hanging out with the New Mutants, and to try to fit in with them, he he re- tries to retell that Muty joke, and the Mutants are not too happy about that. And Kitty gives him the cold shoulder, and they all walk out on him. He's like... What did I say? And Rain, though, she thinks he's still a good guy, so she follows him back to his house where he is uh, currently living by himself because his parents are vacationing, but he's going to school so he can't uh, go on vacation with them, which, I don't know, that's odd. But uh, She sees him use his mutant power that he's able to make sculptures out of light, so realizing that she is a mutant, she rushes back to tell the rest of the gang and at that moment larry gets a anonymous phone call that somebody called x factor on him and he's like oh no what do i do we cut to the next morning where the new mutants are making breakfast and magneto shows up and says larry hung himself last night oh my god so everybody's rightfully upset uh kitty goes to investigate larry's house and rain shows up there too and uh, as kitty discovers that he was a mutant rain says yeah i knew he was a mutant but when I got home, everybody was asleep and I never got a chance to tell anybody. And then the news came out. Um, Rain goes after the, uh, the, the Jack kids, but the New Mutants can get her to not go after them. Uh, Kitty delivers Larry's eulogy at a funeral that is, it's a, it's a really good speech, but uh, it's not good in the sense that it's more about Kitty and the New Mutants than it is about Larry, which is kind of annoying. Generally, at somebody's eulogy, when you want to talk about them, but... 
despite that, it's a good speech. She uses the N word again. Oh, uh, nice. This time she uses the S word, the F word, the W word. And also she says Muni. She's just on a roll. Wait a minute. She's swearing in the pages of New Mutant? Yeah. What's I mean, like, give me an example of the S word. Uh, I, I, you just have to look up the issue. Okay. They're all, they're all derogative slurs. I'm just not going to say them on air. Like, like she's not swearing. She's just using. Yeah. Derogative terms like, like, you know, the N word and, and mutant okay. and the F word. Frenchie? <laughs> no, just read it. I can't think of any derogatory S or F words, but okay. All right. All right. Um, so it's a good speech about how labels are bad and you should try putting yourself into somebody else's shoes. So ultimately it does kind of, it is sort of about Larry, but it's not really, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. It's oh, well written. It's a good issue. The S word. Yeah. Got it. I know. Okay. So I got that one. <laughs> F word. F word. W word. W word. Yeah. God, what are all these derogatory slurs that I'm not aware of? Just, you just got to think of, uh... Uh, don't even bother thinking about it. <laughs> all right, all right. It's anyway, not, it was a, it was a good okay. issue. All right, I feel so sheltered not knowing <laughs> not knowing all these bad words. Oh, you know them. You I you bet, just yes. you just you can't think of them. The second the I see them, I'd be like, oh yeah, that word. But I guess I guess maybe it's maybe it's a testament of my character that I can't immediately come up with what word you're. Th- there what, you go. What the <laughs> F and the W word are. All right. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Maybe one day I'll get curious, but probably not, because that would involve <laughs> me having to open my iPad, and who's got time for that? So, yeah, that's, uh, I think that'll do it for us this week. It's a long one. Next week, we're taking a detour from Mutant Massacre. Yeah, got to. It's the only way to fit it in. We probably could have done it earlier, but it still wouldn't have made much sense. We'll let you know what it is when we get there, but until then, it's going to be a surprise. Surprise! And also, until then, my name is Jeremy. And until then, my name is Adam. But after then, it could be anything. But definitely, the danger in this closed. <laughs>